proclamation to you beforehand. I put, I made a Facebook post on the church's Facebook page before earlier this afternoon, uh, giving a heads up on where we were going to be. And, and it's in James chapter 3, it's, it's talking about the tongue. And it had like 111 views all in like just a few hours. But I'm pretty sure that's why nobody showed, not very few people showed up. They didn't want to hear this, this message on, on our tongue, which is untamable and deceitful and wicked and, and all these things. And they're like, no, nah, I'll probably stay home tonight. Might be too convicted. So you guys must have not seen the Facebook post. So I'm not going to Facebook post anything. You know, I'm only going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put like in, encouraging things up there. Come feel good. <laughs> ah, well, James chapter 3 is where we're at, and um, we'll pray here in a minute before we read. But um, I want to remind you, we, it's important as we go contextually through Scripture, right, to keep the underlying focus before our, our eyes, and it helps us to see the point of, of these verses. And the, thing that, well, the reason why I keep reiterating that to you as we continue through the book of James is because the book of James is one of these books where there's a lot of passages of Scripture that are quoted. You know, you, you hear people quote passages of Scripture and because they're so practical and applicable to our lives, you go, oh, I'm familiar with that, I'm familiar with that. And not, even when they are put in the correct context, I'm not saying that contextually they're, they're quoted out of context, but there's, there are certain things that we're so familiar with that often we just cling to those one verses that, that we hear about and we don't look at them in light of the total message and see the greater perspective of the whole letter that, that was written. And, um, and, and, and as we consider that, as we continue to go through this kind of chapter by chapter, we need to remember that the main focal point, the main purpose behind this message is, is spiritual maturity. And, and James writing this message is very practical, um, very applicable to our lives still today, um, because he knows he's, God's speaking through him to grow us, to challenge us to grow us in, into being spiritual mature. And in other times, in the other parts of, of the Bible and the epistles, there's this call to grow into spiritual maturity, but James really lies out or lies down for us or lays out um, uh, specific attributes that we need to be looking for in our own lives so we can kind of use that as a measuring stick, if you will, a plumb line to go, where am I at? What's going on in my life? What, what evidence or what fruit is being born in my life to show me where I'm at in relationship to spiritual maturity and areas where I still need to grow and areas where I need to, to let things fade away? You know, as Paul writes, you know, when I was, when I was a child, I, I did childish things. And, and spiritually speaking, spiritually immature people do childish things. We do spiritually immature things, but yet God desires more for us. Just like we all have our own kids, we desire them to grow up and to be on their own and to be strong and to be stable and to not move back home and live in our basements and, and all these things. God, figuratively speaking, desires for us to grow into spiritually mature Christians and believers because there's, there's a, a blessing in that, and, and then we're useful in his hands in other ways where we may not be if we're just simply children. And so in the previous two chapters that we've gone through, James has explained and pointed out already to us two characteristics of a spiritually mature Christian, saying first in chapter one that a spiritually mature Christian is patient in times of trial or times of trouble, right? 
And I don't want to go back over that, but that's really the first attribute that he points us to, that when hard things come, we just remain patient. And, and that's because we, we put our faith and our trust in God, knowing that, that this trial or this testing that we're going through is a refining process, that God's doing a work in us of growing our faith, right? He's, he's maturing us in that. And so we're patient, a spiritually mature Christian is patient. And that's true in the physical realm too, is, is you see a person who has great maturity, they go through a hard thing, whether it's in work or whatever, they're composed, right? They're, they're, they don't let things fluster them really easily and, and they get drawn away to the right or to the left or react in a way that might be um, non-beneficial for themselves or those around them. And, and if we're patient in the midst of various trials or in trouble, the same is true spiritually. We're not going to make these rash decisions that can kind of make things worse for us. And we talked about, typically the Bible defines that for us, as us going to the place where we're then doing something that seems right according to our own understanding. And the Bible says a, a man who does that, it, it, it's, 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 it leads to destruction, it leads to a path of death because it's opposite of the path that God would have us travel on. Well, there was a second attribute that, that James, or characteristic that James also pointed us to, and this was in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, James was pointing out to us the spiritually mature Christian practices the truth. Not just knows the truth, right? Because knowledge is different than wisdom. Knowledge is having an understanding of something uh, I, I know when I was speaking about that, you, knowledge may have the understanding of how to take something apart. Wisdom's uh, the the knowledge to put it back together. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied, and and a spiritually mature Christian just doesn't know things. You know, you ever heard somebody say, "Well, I, I, I know that the Word God says this, but." <laughs> I've been in counseling sessions with people multiple times where they're just, and it's not just a, a statement of, of of fact or knowledge. They're going to be like. You know what, Pastor? I know what the Word of God says, but. And the but is because they know all these other things that is going to come at a cost to them if they do what God's Word says or what I'm going to tell them that God's Word says, but they just have that moment going, I'm not going to do it. And there, there's a spiritual immaturity. It's like with your own kids. It's like your kids know what to do, right? And how often do they not do it? How often do we, in our own spiritual immaturity, know what God calls us to do, and we just don't do it. But spiritual maturity equates to, James was telling us, knowing what the truth is and then practicing it, doing it. And, and, and as he went on, he said that <clears throat> that ultimately leads us to the place where we have a faith, a spiritually mature Christian has a faith that is evident by their works, evidenced by what they do. What do they do? They do the right thing. They do the truth. They practice what they preach, so to speak. They do what they know to be true. Now, in chapter 3, James, continuing with this, this overall focus of spiritual maturity, James identifies for us a third characteristic. A third characteristic that is seen in the life of a spiritually mature believer as he points out the fact that a spiritually mature Christian has the power to control their tongue. Or, or better yet, they submit to God and they have a control over the words that come out of their mouth. And, and um, it's, a, it's a really important thing. And this is, 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 is so important because, guys, the, the power of speech is one of the greatest powers that God has given to mankind. The power of speech. The Bible tells us that with the tongue we can praise God, we can pray to God, and we can encourage and comfort those who are hurting. We can even express our feelings of love for one another, our feelings for affections for others, 
But the Bible also tells us that with this same tongue, we can tell lies that can ruin a person's reputation. And we can even speak words that will break a person's heart. And the ability to speak words is really the ability to influence others and accomplish great tasks. <clears throat> Yet I think that we take this um, God-given gift for granted as we're often unaware of the ramifications that are attached to the words that we speak. You know, that, that, that saying, you know, think before you speak. You know, and, 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 and that's, that's really a sign of maturity, both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. And, and we're going to, the Bible alludes to many different things. I'm going to quote a lot of scripture to, to, to connect the dots here in, in relationship to what James is telling us, where the tongue and the words that we speak, uh, uh, there's instruction found from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end about that. And um, let me give you an example for you, this little story about how important our words are. There was once a farmer's wife, and um, she had uh, spread a very slanderous story about her pastor throughout the village that they lived in. And soon the whole countryside had heard about this slanderous story that this farmer's wife had spoke. Well, sometime later, the woman became very sick, and she confessed that the story was untrue. So the moral of the story is don't speak slanderous about your pastor. No, that's not it. Well, the, the lady came to receive a recovery, and after recovery, she came to her pastor, and she asked for forgiveness. And um, the old pastor said, of course, I will gladly forgive you if you comply with a wish of mine. She said, gladly, whatever, I'll do, I'll do whatever. And... Um, the pastor said, I will gladly forgive you if you comply with the wish of mine. And he said, go home, kill a black hen, pluck the feathers, and put them in a basket and bring them to me. In a half hour's time, she was back. Now the pastor said, go out through the village. And at each street corner, scatter a few of these feathers. The remaining ones take to the top of the bell tower and scatter the feathers again and see, uh, or, or, and, and, and scatter them into the wind and then return to me. And so she did this as well. And when she came back to the pastor, the pastor said to her, Now, go through the village and gather the feathers again and see that not one is missing. And the woman looked at the pastor in astonishment and said, Why, that's impossible. The wind has scattered them over the fields everywhere. And so he said, While I forgive you gladly, do not forget that you can never undo the damage your untrue words have done. Now, in order to impress the importance of um, controlling our tongue and the potential cost of the words that we speak, James, in this chapter, what he does is he uses six illustrations, six pictures or word illustrations uh, in order to help us to see the importance of controlling our tongue and the potential cost of the words that we speak. He uses the bit, speaking to uh, a bit and a bridle that's put in the mouth of a horse, um, the rudder, a fire, a deadly poison, a fountain, or a spring, and then lastly, a fig tree. And it's these six illustrations, if you take them, you divide them into three categories, and you can divide them in three categories in order to describe and to reveal the three specific powers that we want to identify this evening in regards to how powerful the tongue is that reveals you know, the three categories that the power of the tongue can be put into. And the first is the power to direct. 
the tongues, our tongue and the words we speak have the power to direct. The, the tongue that we have and the words that it speak additionally has the power to tear down, to destroy. And the words that we speak and the tongue that we have has the power to build up, to encourage, or to give delight. With that, let's read. Verse 1, it says in chapter 3, My brethren, not, not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in a word or in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, and they may obey us, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole bodies. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot deserves, desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, God our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things not ought to be so. Does a spring send forth Fresh water and bitter from the same opening. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his words or that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter and, and, and self-seeking in your hearts do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, God, that we would take these hard and challenging things this evening, Lord, that we hear and that you teach us through your Spirit, Lord, that we would take them into our hearts and receive them. Lord, we would allow you, God, to take control of our tongues. And Lord, that you would give us not only wisdom, Lord, but self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, to be able to, in those moments when, when things rattle us or when things cause us, Lord, to maybe speak out a turn or in a way that, that is not glorifying to you, Lord, that we would be able to, to um, bite our tongue, so to speak. Lord, that we would not react. God, that we would use um, this God-given gift, this ability to articulate and speak words to glorify you, to build up and not tear down, Lord, to teach others about your word and about your son Jesus, Lord, that we would use um, wisdom and words that um, edify and bring peace, <coughs> and Lord, to our lives and to the lives of people around us. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Now, keep in mind that this, this letter was originally uh, written to the early church. And uh, it was written in order to deal also with some specific things that were going on with the church. And some of those things were, were, were words of encouragement, and others were words of rebuke, and others words were, were words of warning like what we read here. And um, verse 1 reveals the fact that there were many within the church, apparently, from what we see here, that desired to be teachers, right? And teachers speak words. In other words, someone who has a place of authority and, and use their words, their tongue, in order to guide and direct another person's life. And, um, but James, here in verse 1, gives a warning saying, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. And he says, and the reason why, he says, knowing that teachers shall receive a stricter judgment. In other words, God, God takes what we say uh, very seriously. And um, this is an important warning, not just for pastors or those who desire to be teachers. It's an important warning for all of us to consider in light of the fact that our words all of our words have the power to influence and to direct another person's life. And when we consider this in a pastoral role, we clearly understand that those who teach the Word of God, or who are called to teach the Word of God anyway, because many pastors don't, but, but when, when we understand that those who are called to teach the Word of God, that they're going to face, they're going to face a stricter judgment, is what James is telling us in this, in this warning, simply due to the fact that God's word is important. And this is why it's necessary for anyone who shares God's truths, whether it's from a pastoral point of view or from you as individuals who know God's word and, and have an influence into other people's lives. They give you their ear and you speak words to them. We, we need to understand this, this warning and why it's nece necessary for any one of us who shares God's truths to be prepared to do so. To be prepared to speak God's word of truth in a right way. And this is why it's necessary for us um, to, to be prepared by first practicing what we teach, right? Our lives need to reflect the words that we speak to other people. And then additionally, we need to be prepared to rightly explain how to, replay, how to apply these words of, of God or God's word or the truths found in God's word um, uh, to a person's life. We need to be able to help them. That's called discipleship. You know, explaining it to them and walking with them. And, and we do this because God's word and the truths that are found in it address the significant, address very significant issues of life. And, and the Bible tells us that it's profitable. God's word is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for directing a person in regards to spiritual and eternal things, which is very, very important, right? When you're talking about the eternal destiny of an individual. But you know what? The word of God is also important for the temporal things of life. We're told that in 2 Timothy. Profitable for such things as marriage and parenting and relationship and finances. And, and so the words that we speak in relationship to these things don't need to be words of our own wisdom and words of our own counsel. They need to be God's words. And we need to let them flow out, as the Bible says, as words of grace 
into those lives of people around us. And in light of these important issues, spiritual and eternal and evil, even the, the, the things of life that the Bible directs us and, and offers counsel on, these, in light of these important issues, we need to understand we must consider the damage that can be done by a teacher who is unprepared. If we are unprepared or if our life does not reflect the truths that are being taught. Because we can speak the truth of God's word to somebody, but they also look into our lives and they go, if that's the truth, then why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you raising your kids that way? Why aren't you living your life with that hope of eternal salvation, of faith in Jesus Christ? Why aren't you living your life according to the, and teaching me and telling me what God's word says about finances and you're not doing it in your own life? I mean, by the way that we live, if we're not prepared, it can bring a discreditation in the eyes of people who we're speaking these words to in relationship to the truth, of really, or the validity of God's word. It doesn't make it untrue, but it can become a, a question in their minds, right? And there's, we have to see that, that James warns us and says, be careful, be careful. And in light of this, as we, as, as, as we can go on into verse 2 and look at what James says as he, see, as he continues on, you know, every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we must admit, as James says in verse 2, that, that we all stumble in this. We all sin. None of us are perfect in any way, in many things. However, what we need to recognize is that, that, that the, the sin of the tongue is what sits at the top of these lists. Of, of, of our failures, of our, of, our, of, our, of, our, um, of our faults when we stumble. And in short, James is saying in verse 2 that even though none of us are sinless, he's going on and said that but the person who is able to control their tongue, they demonstrate this spiritual maturity. And it's a proof to others that they have uh, a, a, a control, if you will, over their whole body. And obviously it's not the man. James goes on and says later, later on, right, that, that no man can tame the tongue. But again, it's this pointing to the one who can. And if we're submitting our tongue to the Lord Jesus Christ, then everything else is going to come in line too. It's going to be evidenced by the way we live as well. And, 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 and with this... Um, James also said in verses 3 and 4, look, he says, indeed, he said, we put the bits, and this is the explanation behind it. This is the illustration behind it. He says, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and, and, and we turn their whole bodies. Look, also ships, although they are, are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever, and here's the key, wherever the pilot desires wherever the pilot desires. And we know that there's a person that's behind the bit and a person uh, controlling that. It's not actually the bit that does it, but it's the tool, right? And the same case is true with the rudder. There's a pilot behind that. And by selecting the bit, if you will, and the rudder as illustrations of the tongue, James presents two things for us to key in on. Two things that are small, but yet that yet possess a great power. Just like the tongue, a, a power to move, or a power to control. And um, when a small bit is put into the mouth of even the most powerful horse, it enables the person riding the horse to control the direction and the movement of the horse. Likewise, a rudder enables the ship's captain to steer even the largest of ships. And the, the, the tongue, as James makes this connection to us, saying even though it's a small member of our body, 
it has the power to influence and it has the power to accomplish great things. But as we consider the bit in the rudder in light of these illustrations, we need to see that they are both that, 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 that both the bit and the rudder by nature overcome an opposing force or forces, right? They overcome opposing forces in order to control movement. The bit must be used to overcome the inner desires and opposing forces or the will of the horse, right? And Cindy, I know you have horses, and do they have their own will and their own desires? And the bit overcomes those, don't they? Hopefully. Likewise, the rudder on a ship must overcome the opposing forces of the wind and the water currents, the the very things that could drive the ship off course into a place of danger, right? And equally, when we see this connection, it's our tongue that must overcome the contrary forces if it is to, our tongue must overcome contrary forces if it's to accomplish great things, if it is to effectively and, and, and in a godly way direct others into a safe and right place or in the right way. And the problem is, is that these forces that, 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 that we're trying to overcome, they lie within us. Often this is the greatest struggle that we have. It's called self, this old nature. We have an old nature that wants to, 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 to control us, that wants to lead us into this place where we stumble, where we sin. And additionally, there's always the, the circumstances. I was talking with Robin this morning at the, with and she's sitting at the preschool uh, check-in area there, and we were talking about it a little bit. And immediately as we were talking about the, the tongue, she said, I have no problem with the tongue as long as nobody makes me say something I don't want to say. And, and, and I often feel the same way. But you know what? Not only are the, 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 the opposing forces that we face, not only the things within us, it's these external circumstances as well. There's the... There's the, the, the um, circumstances that are around us that tempt us to say things that we, we ought not to say. And, 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 and lots of times those circumstances are the way other people treat us or the way other people speak to us. And simply put, there is the will and the desire of the old man on the inside and the pressures and the temptations of this world on the outside that are seeking to get control of our tongue, of the words that we speak. But in light of these opposing forces, just like the bit in the rudder, the tongue must be under the control of a strong hand. And it's the, of course, it's the experienced horseman who keeps the mighty power of the horse under his control. And likewise, it's the seasoned captain who steers the ship safely through a storm. And equally, the Bible teaches us that it's only Jesus who can control our tongue. And that we um, need not fear saying the wrong things or even saying the right things in the wrong way if we allow our lives to be in submission to God. Listen, Proverbs 18.21, it warns about the words we speak and the danger that they can bring. And he says, death and life, in verse 21 of Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and power. And David prayed in Psalms 141, verses 3 and 4. He said, because he knew this, he said, Set a guard. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep, you ever feel like that? Ah, control this evil, wicked member that I have, you know? Set a guard 
O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. And that's very clear because David, that's very important because clearly David knew that the, that the heart was really the, the issue, right? It's not, it's not like our tongue is just all out of control on its own. It's like, hey, don't blame me. That was my tongue. You know, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's an issue of the heart. And, and David knew that the heart that was under the control of God is the key to right speech. And it was Jesus who said pretty much so in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, when he said this. He said, a good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's a heart issue, and it's always a heart issue, and it's an issue of a heart. In, it's a heart that's in love and in submission to God, and that's why that's why James speaks about you know if we're able to to to, to bridle the tongue, if we're able to control the tongue, it, it's it's an evidence that the whole body's under control. Why? Because the heart's in the right place that it needs to be. Out of the abundance of the heart flows the mouth, flows the tongue. The mouth speaks. And this reminds me of that, that saying, you know, garbage in, what? Garbage out. <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, it's biblical, right? And, and the fact of the matter is when Jesus, here's the connection for us to see. When Jesus is Lord of our life, he's also Lord of our heart. The two can't be separate. He's the Lord of our life. He's the Lord of our heart. And when he is the Lord of our heart and when he's the Lord of our life, then he's the Lord of our tongue. It's just the natural flow of it. And so we should ask ourselves, does our speech reflect the fact that Jesus is our Lord? And, and, and if, there's, if our tongue's getting away from us in certain things, in certain ways, then we need to do a heart check. That's what the Bible's telling us here. That's what James is encouraging us to do. And because our words have the power to direct, that's the first power that we see here, to direct, to control, to guide you know what? Because that's a significant thing. We, cannot under, we can never underestimate the effect that we can have on those around us whom God has put around us um, by the words that we speak or by the words that we don't speak. Because sometimes we need to speak and we don't. And in light of this, it would do us all good to frequently read the book of Proverbs and take note of the many references that makes to our speech. For example, here's just a couple. Proverbs 15, verse 12 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Boy, how many times have you not done that? I mean, I've gone into it and I'm like, I just entice the wrath, right? I just, I just call it out. A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of a fool pours out foolishness. How about Proverbs 12, 22? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. And then again in Proverbs 10, verse 19. In the multitudes of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The bottom line is our tongue is like a bit. It's like a rudder in that it has the power to direct, in that it has the power to guide others. So we must take heed to the words that we speak. Why? Because God's going to hold us accountable. That's what he says. He's going to hold us accountable. And, and, and so the words that we speak, and we need to use God's word because they direct people in the right way. And we need to remember that if we're not doing this, then and, and here's, here's usually why we're not doing it. 
It's not because we don't know. It's because we want somebody to do something that we would want them to do. There's usually a self-motive involved in it, right, at some level. And you can examine that and think about that a little bit. But remember, there's a judgment James is telling us to begin with in in regards to the words that we speak. And so he goes on in verse 5, and he says, Even so the tongue is a little member and a boast great thing. See how great a forest a little fire um, uh, kindles. And the tongue is a fire and a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. I did a, I did a little research on a really famous fire. And according to historical accounts, at 9 p.m. a fire started in a small barn that bordered the alley behind 137 DeCoven Street. The fire started burning on Sunday, October 8th, and it burned until Tuesday, October 10th. As a result of this fire, which began in a small barn by a cow, supposedly, that kicked over a lantern, 100,000 people, this is the statistics, 100,000 people were left homeless, 17,500 people were destroyed, or buildings were destroyed, and 300 people died. The total cost of the fire was well over $400 million, which in 1871 was a heck of a lot of money. This historical event has become known as the Great Chicago Fire. And it still reminds us that a little fire can kindle a great flame that brings a great and expensive destruction. And James says, the words we speak, our tongue can be like a fire. And in these next set of verses, James points out that our tongue, which is a little thing, it can start these fires, right? That can bring forth a great destruction. For example, with our tongue, think about some of these little fires, we can speak lies, right? Gossip. Heated words that can set a whole family or an entire church on fire and bring it to a place of destruction. In Proverbs 16, in Proverbs 16, verse 27, it says, An ungodly man digs up evil and it's on his lips like a burning fire. Now, there's several things about the fire in regards to the attributes that we can look at um, that it possesses to help us to understand some things. For example, fire, when it burns, it consumes, right? It consumes and it destroys. But a fire is also used to heat up things. I like sitting in front of a fire, especially if I'm camping. Camping without a fire, it's not fun. Gotta have a fire. And, 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 and so, too, our, con- our tongue has these similar attributes in, in that a fire, it can speak words, or our tongue can speak words and heat things up, right? And it was David who wrote about this and said in Psalm 39, verses 1 through 3, he said this, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. While the wicked are before me, I was mute with silence. Have you ever thought about that? How many times have you just been around people you know you shouldn't just speak anything, and yet you do? I mean, that's not wise. And David acknowledges that. He said, when the wicked before me, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from speaking good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. You ever done that? You're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? And you let it go, 
and you let it go. And you know there's some words that you probably should speak, but you don't. And then it stirs up inside of you. And then what happens, Chuck? <laughs> yeah. a, a, a great and destructive force can come out, right? And there are usually not words of peace, you know, that James talks about at the end of this chapter. It, it, it's not. And I think it's safe to say that we've all had this kind of experience where our hot heads and our hot hearts have led us to speak burning words that we would later regret, words that have fanned flames and only made things worse. And the simple fact of the matter is, is the more fuel you give to the fire, the faster and the farther it will spread, right? In light of this, we should remember Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20, which says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. That's so profound, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, it's in God's word. God's going, listen, where there's no wood, fire goes out, guys. Quit feeding the fire. And sometimes we just need to, right? And other times we need to speak words that don't add fuel to the flame. David also said, he said, and where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. And he's making the connection there, you know. You, you can either fuel the fire or you can put it out by the words that we speak. And fire not only starts small and grows big. Something else about fire is, 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 is in addition to creating heat, it pollutes, it corrupts, it defiles Things by the smoke and the ash from the flames that penetrate into everything around it that's not consumed by the fire. When we first bought our very first house on East Circle, um, there was a little lady that lived there for years. And we, we got in there and I had a fireplace. I was so excited to have a fire. And I got a rip-roaring fire going. Well, the chimney had never been cleaned. And there was a bunch of, I don't know, soot and carbon up in there. And you know what happened? That caught on fire. A neighbor came over and they're like, pounded on our door and there's like he said you got fire coming out of your chimney and i walked outside it was like a a, an, a furnace just it was shooting like six feet out of the top of the chimney i mean i called 911 i didn't know what was going on and and they you know what they did they got up on the chimney and they started for i can't remember what they did first but they ended up having to put water down there to get it out well all that water Went into the house, all the smoke and everything. It, even though the fire didn't get into the house, everything in the house was defiled by the fire because of the smoke. It was awful. Our clothes, our furniture, our drapes, everything. And um, it, 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 it doesn't do that. But guys, the, in the same way, our tongue can utter words that corrupt, that defile corrupt a person's reputation, pollute an entire church body, defile a person's name. And maybe you've had that happen to you by the words that someone has spoke. The point is, fire burns, and if you've ever been burned, you know that it hurts. If you've ever been defiled by someone's words, you know that it hurts, and it hurts for a long time. And um, it doesn't go away easily. In fact, a person's entire life can be injured or destroyed by a tongue. A relationship can be destroyed by the words that a person speaks, by the tongue. And sadly, time does not always correct the sins of the tongue. And even though we may confess our sins of speech to another person, 
it, it often starts this fire that will keep on spreading and keep on spreading. You know, with social media out there today, our youth face this in ways that we had never did. And, you know, you hear about these kids that have had their reputation or things spoken about them that weren't true or even was true that was aired out there in social media. And these kids are ruined. They've taken their own lives. You know, it's, it's awful. And it's all because of the written or the spoken word, something that somebody has said. So destructive. And sadly, our tongue, which can destroy, can have this a reaching effect that it never we never intended it to do. We, we, we set it out as just like, okay, I know it's not right, but I'm going to do this, and it's just going to be here. I'm just going to get them here. And man, before you know it, it's defiled and polluted something way greater than what we ever had hoped for or imagined. we got to be careful. Our, our tongue, the words we speak, are like a fire. And when it gets out of control, it's, it's unstoppable. And did you ever, did you know? Here's a little statistic. Um, mein Kampf, My Struggle, was written by Hitler. 1925. And basically, it's an autobiography um, that he wrote in his rise to political power that really outlined his political ideology and his future plans for Germany. And for every word in Adolf Hitler's book, someone counted him up and they did the math. For every word that was written in that book by Hitler, what put forth his ideology and his plans for Germany, there was about 125 lives taken for every word in that book. 72 million people either were murdered by, by the hand of Hitler or died in World War II defending, defending the world from Nazism. And even though this is an extreme example of the destructive power of the tongue, it illustrates the importance of what we're told in, in the book of Colossians in chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, um, let our speech always be with grace and seasoned with salt. And not only is the tongue like a fire, but in verses 7 and 8, James likens it additionally to a wild animal that can be tamed or by some kind of deadly poison. And the deceptive thing about poison, guys, is that it works secretly, right? It works slowly. And then it kills. And how many times have we heard someone or perhaps ourselves how we've done this where we've injected just a little bit of poison into a conversation? Oh, well, did you know? And we do that kind of hoping that it would spread and finally get to the person that, they, that we wanted it to hurt. But James reminds us that as animals can be tamed, and for that matter, even a fire can be tamed, we see another important point being made. For example, when an animal, when an animal is tamed, what do you get? If you have a wild horse, Cindy, it's pretty impossible to do anything with it, right? But if you have a horse that's been broke or a horse that's been tamed, it becomes yeah, or, you, well, yeah, in your case, useful, <laughs> maybe not, well, useful as a pet, but, but it becomes useful. You get a worker instead of a destroyer. That's the idea of taming something. And, and when you control fire, it's also possible that that fire can be used productively to generate power or heat, you know, it, it, but James points out in verse 8 that no man, not, 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 no man, you can't do it. We can't tame the tongue. On our, own on our own, but it can be tamed by God. And the fact of the matter is our tongue, as he writes here in verse 8 about it, it need not be set on fire by hell, but it can be and it needs to be our tongue to be set on fire by heaven as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, you look to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and a lot of the gifts of the Spirit fall under the classification of the speaking, the tongue, and the words that it can speak. 
And, and if we allow God to light that fire, or if we allow him to control it, then our tongue can be used as a mighty tool for good. So we see that in these last verses, and as James illustrates that in speaking about this last power that the tongue has, he says, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by, by mankind, but no one can tame the, the tongue. Uh, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the, the, the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. And so as we wrap it up, guys, our tongue has the power to teach, right? To direct. It has the power to tear down, the power to destroy. And, and here reminded that our tongue also has the power to build up, to edify, to bless, the power to encourage. And in these last verses, James uses the illustration of a spring and a fig tree to explain this, to point that out, saying it, it can only be one or the other. Guys, where are you at? Where are we at? Do we want to be one who blesses or one who curses, one who speaks praises or someone who tears down? And James also issued a warning saying that, that a spring can't do this and a tree can't do this and neither should the words that we speak be in one hand words that tear down and in the other hand words that build up. And the, and the tongue that blesses God and then turns around curses God or, or, or curses a person who is made in God's image. James is basically saying if you're in that spot, you need some help. We need some help. But before we pass judgment on another person, as we kind of often usually do when we think about these things, considering maybe others who we see are in this spot, you know, we got to understand it's easy for any one of us to come to church on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, and it's usually where we spend the time singing these praises and blessing God, right, during our time of worship, how easy it for us to do this, and then it is also, have you done that? You left church and then got in your car and began to fight with your spouse. And, you know, speaking words that, that curse, or, you know, the enemy uses those, those opportunities. He, 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 he knows. And, and, and we, we give way to those feelings. And, or how about where we've come to church and sat next to somebody who we've been praising God with, who, who may not, who might not like necessarily, or may rub us the wrong way, or and, and we, leave, we leave church, and, and we're sitting in the car, and we begin to speak curses, if you will, about the very person we were just sitting next to and praising and worshiping God with. It happens sometimes so subtly, we don't even think about it. we got to be conscious of the words that we speak. And James simply says in verse 10, my brethren, these things not, ought not to be so. And the simple fact of the matter is, what James is pointing out is this inconsistency, Right? And, and, and if our tongue is inconsistent, it's because there's something wrong in our heart, back to where we began. But if, 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 if we fill our hearts, guys, what are we putting in, right? What are we putting in? And, and what we put in is so important in not, what we see, what we hear, those kinds of things. And if we're filling our hearts with God's word and we're allowing ourselves to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, you know what? God will use us to bless others and to build them up, you know? I'm just going to, Andy, you're here, but I'm just going to point it out. There's so many times when I've been that complaining person, and Andy probably doesn't even realize it, you know, where I'm like, blah, 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 and he's always, well, 
and he's got something you just do, dude, you do, and it encourages me, and, and um, I was planning on saying this if you weren't here, I figured I probably will say here, because I'm, oh, I want, I want to speak a truth about you, and I enjoy that, and it encourages me to be more like that, you know, to be that person who's consistent in my speech, where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging others to speak well about others, and my, and I am myself also speaking well. I'm not allowing the frustrations to, to bring forth an inconsistency in my life by the words that I speak. You know what? And if we're going to have tongues that build up and bless, you know, then we must daily. We got to spend time with Jesus. Hang out with Andy. He represents Jesus a little bit too. <laughs> um, but you know what? Spend time with Jesus. And, and we must pray. We must meditate on God's word. We've got to focus on what we're putting in and, the, and, and remembering that the smallest but the largest troublemaker in the entire world is the tongue, right? And, um, but our, our tongue doesn't have to be that troublemaker or something that gets us in trouble. Um, God can use our tongue to direct others into the way of life and, he, and to encourage and build those people up around us. Um, even though they may be going through some really, really difficult things. And that's when they need those words of encouragement, that tongue that edifies the most. And um, I don't know what else to say. Give God your tongue. <laughs> Give God your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for these encouragements. And thank you, God, for placing people around us, Lord, who example um, what it means, Lord, to really put these things into practice. And God, we want to be, we want to be those who are um, recognized as your children by the words that we speak, not just by the, the lives that we live. And Lord, there's so many times where the focus is on the actions and, and what we do and, 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 and knowing that our actions need to line up with the words that we speak. But Lord, there's an importance to the words that we speak to. And Lord, may our words be filled, may our speech be filled with grace and truth and mercy and peace. And God, we know that this is a work only you can do in us. And so we give our lives and our tongues to you. In Jesus' name, amen.